Welcome to the ZMM Podcast. My name is Hokyu, and I'm glad you're able to listen in today. Last month, Zen Mountain Monastery hosted the biannual conference of the Soto Zen Buddhist Association for three full days of practice, discussion, and exploration. Following the conference, I had the opportunity to speak with Tenku Ruff, the association's board president, to discuss what took place and what it says about the state of Soto Zen Buddhism in 2018. Tenku Osho was ordained and received Dharma transmission from Tessa Yamamoto Roshi in Morioka, Japan, and currently lives in the New York City area. She holds a master's degree in divinity and is also a board-certified chaplain, specializing in oncology, palliative care, and grief support. Welcome, Tenku, to the ZMM Podcast. Thank you. Why don't we start with um, with just if you could tell me a little bit about the organization, about SCBA, um, what its purpose is, how it how it was founded. The Soto Zen Buddhist Association is an organization of priests. We have novice priests who are associate members and full members who are people who have passed our minimum standard for membership and have Dharma transmission. It was originally started back in the 90s, but it was really restarted in 2003. It originally started um, as a North American balance to the Japanese Sotoshu. Uh-huh. Sotoshu is the, um, is the organization in Japan which oversees Soto Zen training throughout the world, principally in Japan, but they, um, as training centers throughout the world, want to be in line to different degrees with traditional training. Uh, Sotoshu extends themselves to, uh, to, to help facilitate that in different ways. Yeah, we, you know, the Japanese side of things has offices and on every major continent. So they have, I don't think we have one in Africa yet, but we, so they have different offices. But um, as Sotozen grew here in North America, they told us, you know, it's time to do your own thing. So it's a way for priests to come together to support each other to um, do continuing education, to get to know each other, and to, you know, continue to grow together as a, a community. Mm. And, um, and so who comes to the conference, I mean, in terms of where are they coming from? What's the um, geographic and otherwise diversity of the members who, who come to these? And it happens every two years, is that right? Yes, once every two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, people come from all over. Originally, in the early days, they were coming a lot from California for obvious reasons. There are a lot of Buddhists in California. <laughs> um, and we tended to hold the conferences more on the West Coast. But the board made the decision a couple of times ago to really try to spread that out. Mm-hmm. So last time we held it in Minnesota. So this time we saw a lot of people coming from the Midwest. And this time we also saw a lot of people coming from the Northeast because it was here. Yeah. So they came from all over, from uh, Mexico to uh, up to uh, Oregon and in the middle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people from Minnesota and down in North Carolina. So. Yeah. How many members are there formally in, in the SCBA? Um, we're just shy of 300. Yeah. Okay, wow. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so this year's conference, the um, you'll have to remind me exactly how the theme was worded. I know that um, it was a big intention on the organizers on the board, including mm-hmm. yourself, to um, have a lot of discussion around the diversification of the broader Soto Zen Sangha, and that, uh, and we'll get into that. Um, and so, how was this conference different from previous years in that regard? So the theme was interconnecting one Soto Zen, many expressions, and the ideas. You know, we we all express the Dharma in our unique ways, and one way is not better than another way, and we can be a lot stronger together. One way that that particularly manifests in what's going on in the world right now is how we look at race. So we, the board has an initiative going on right now on um, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it started when I became the, uh, the board president. I wanted to have a better understanding of the demographics of our members. So I went through the whole membership list, and we didn't have any information on race. Mm. So I tried to count up. And from by my best count, we're about 95% white. Mm. And that was really shocking to me. And the other thing that was really shocking is that we're pretty equal with men and women if you get into people 55 and older. Mm. But if you get into people 55 and younger, then they're about... 80% 80% men oh, really? of people who are full teachers, transmitted teachers. Huh. So that was interesting, too. And also, you know, um, maybe alarming. Mm-hmm. So not only is that, uh, was it very concerning, but it's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to continue ahead if we're going to be just a bunch of white people looking at ourselves. You know, if we're mm-hmm. not relevant to the Dharma in the West. Mm-hmm then what are we doing? Right. What were some of the aspects of the program as it was designed in order to tackle some of those issues? So it started with a, a keynote address by Dr. Ann Gleig on um, undoing, undoing whiteness in American Buddhist modernity, Yeah, which was just fabulous. So the thing about Dr. Gleig is that she's a scholar practitioner So I asked her if she could present in a way particular to the Mahayana tradition, so that in a way that makes sense to a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for me, this isn't a social issue. This isn't about politics. This isn't even about social justice. It's just common sense. Mm -hmm. And our Buddhist vows support that common sense. So she chose the, the framework that she chose to present it through was the two truths, the ultimate and the relative. And um, she really unpacked that for us in a very careful way that never lost sight of the Dharma through the whole thing and really showed us ourselves very clearly. I mean, uh, uh, some people reported being very surprised and awed and humbled and sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how we began. And it was, every, it was a very intentional process. Mm-hmm. I wanted to present the ideas to an- anticipate some of the resistance we might have mm. to these ideas. And, you know, I know that resistance because I hear it and, you know, I read the papers and I look on the 
the SCBA has a discussion forum. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had a good sense of what type of things might be blocks for people. And also in the spring, we partnered with Dharma Rain Zen Center in Portland, Oregon, to conduct a survey on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we had a good sense of people's views from that survey and the amount of support we might have. And then we used that to create a conference that had a, a natural flow between information and then uh, self-reflection, sharing, mm. yeah. talking to each other, yeah. and, and moved ahead from there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of what I heard in the conference was a huge mirror for for people, and um, including us, those of us in the mountains and rivers order who were present, and um, hearing things that you know we may have thought about too, just in terms of the way, the ways that we are accessible or standoffish, the ways that we um, are holding our traditional forms. And um, and the ways that those can sometimes be a barrier mm-hmm. to entry for a lot of people. I mean, we make these assumptions that that we're inclusive and we welcome everybody, and that might be how we feel in our hearts. And but what we do in our actions is often exclude just yeah. by the assumption that what we're doing is normal. Yeah. So I th- I remember one temple that um, a friend of mine went to. And the teacher there likes to have people do things that are active sometimes. Mm. And the teacher had them doing these um, like folk dance things, which, you know, I can smile and be like, okay, you know, I'll do that. But what is that like for, you know, a person, an African-American person Mm. doing like 1960s white people folk dancing? It's a really uh, different experience and not in the cultural uh, understanding and mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. So how much do we do that, you know, or think of what we eat yeah. or how we dress? Cause mm-hmm. we already look, you know, weird to a lot of people, mm-hmm. but we have to really find ways to connect better and to think about it from a bigger picture. Yeah. And, um, I think that kind of taking responsibility was also a major theme of the conference. It definitely was. It's, it's time for us to take responsibility for our own part in it in ways that we benefit from it. So um, we decided to do a ceremony of recognition and repentance, which addressed a lot of different issues um, from the way women are treated to Native people from this area to people of African descent, people LGBTQIA, the earth itself, um, immigrants. We covered um, a lot of bases with it, but we really wanted to say from our hearts, we acknowledge the harm that we have done and or that we have benefited from. And from this point on, we release that karma with the intention to do better mm-hmm. and to move ahead. Mm-hmm. So we made a formal proclamation, which is a, something we often do in Zen ceremonies. And we had one of our members read the proclamation. And immediately from there, he replaced it onto the altar and we moved into the full moon ceremony, which is a ceremony where we renew our vows as priests. So on that intention, 
to acknowledge the harm that we've done Mm -hmm. and to move ahead, we vow as priests to to do better yeah. and and just to be with it too you know not just to fix it but to just attend and and be there see it mm-hmm. yeah it seems as though um buddhism maybe particularly zen buddhism with its um particular emphasis on social engagement has a unique position in in terms of having a language around taking responsibility mm-hmm. and asserting an intention to maintain the vows to address suffering um, yes, in ways that, you know, we're not going to be perfect at, you know, we're never going to be perfect at, but we right. have to, It's okay. We can yeah. hold, we can hold two things at once, you know, yeah. I vow to to do better i vow to not to be racist and yet i am racist Mm -hmm. i acknowledge that i'm a racist and i vow not to be a racist and this is just classic zen you know beings are numberless i vow to save them Mm -hmm. so how do we apply what we already know through the teachings to the situation right in front of our face in the world right now and i think um this ceremony was something that I witnessed when I was at Standing Rock in mm. 20, the end of 2016. I went there as a clergy person mm. and at the invitation of the, the elders and... In the midst of the, the in protests. In the midst of the, the uh, yeah, what we call protest and what they called prayers. Uh-huh. Um, trying to protect their sacred water. Yeah. So during that time, a lot of veterans came in to intentionally put themselves as a barrier between the contractors who were mm. protecting the interest of the oil pipeline wow. and the native elders who were offering prayers at the front of that. And it was a really full time and a, a very sacred time. And in the middle of that, some of the some of the military people made a formal apology to some of the native elders for crimes committed against indigenous people by the american military and one of those people was wesley clark junior whose father is um wesley clark who's he's one of the the or he he was one of the uh, joint chiefs yes i believe so for that ceremony, you know, they were doing that to person to person. Mm-hmm. And it was so powerful watching these men, mostly men, in uniform, kneel down in front of these elders and offer this apology. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, they're, they're young. They didn't do that themselves. So that it really struck me, like, you know, we, but we still carry this collective karma. Even when we didn't do things ourselves, we still we benefit from it. So aren't we still yeah. carrying that? Yeah. So what can we do to really, on a very deep level, acknowledge that and um, start to heal? Yeah. Yeah. 
And so what did, what did you hear um, during the conference? What kind of feedback from the priests who were gathered from, um, the, from the, the language that was used, from the exercises and, mm-hmm. and, um, and talks that were given around this? Just an overwhelming feeling of, yeah, I'm glad we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, of gratitude and a feeling that people were glad to have a chance to be vulnerable together, which is something that we, we kind of run away from sometimes, especially if we're in a teacher role, um, showing that to others. Yeah. So there was a lot of feelings of hope and just um, the only word I can come up with is kind of awe. Like, what do we do? And I hope it continues. And I vow to continue it. And whoa, this is huge. And yet we have no choice. There's a lot of work to be done. And how can we best do it? So I've heard from a lot of people who are going home already and changing the way that they look at this Mm. issue, especially around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I also heard from people who intend to read that proclamation once a year as a recurring ceremony, once a year. And another person who intends to frame it and put it in the entrance to his temple. Mm. So I, I don't know yet what the ripples are, mm. but um, these are some of the things that I've been hearing so far in the first day. <laughs> mm. um, if it's all right with you, it would be great to include that statement in the, the, uh, on our website and the blog post. Definitely, right? yes. Yeah. So people can see and read it. Um, it. I know our teachers here at CMM in the MRO talk about, you know, this being the moment, a historical moment, mm-hmm. where um, issues of coming to terms with bias, exclusion, and and um, and the harm that's been done, how to repair that is, you know, it's um, we're all called across society to uh, to really face that in a way that hasn't happened in decades. Yeah, and be real. Yeah, about it and, and honest. Right. And so it, it seemed as though um, a great number of the sanghas were already hoping to address this and just not really necessarily knowing how. And um, this conference seemed to give them the yeah. tools for that. And that's something that, you know, a lot of the speakers pointed out and brought that up many times. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be experts in this, but we do have to do it. Yeah. We have to get help. Yeah. So there's this feeling we should know everything if we're Buddhist teachers but that's ridiculous. You know, how could we possibly know everything? So this is time to really not think that we can know how to address these problems, but really get help and do it yeah. properly. I mean, really dig in and, and do it well yeah. to, the, to, the, to the absolute extent of our ability, even knowing that we can fail and that it could get messy and people might be angry and people might leave. Yeah. I mean, I think this is what we have to acknowledge. Yeah. Mm. How, how hard it is. And we have absolutely no choice. Mm. It's, it's not a choice for us. Yeah. 
Um, we were speaking briefly the other day. You were um, telling me just a little bit about your own training, and I was curious about that because um, you, you've done significant training in Japan. Yes. Your primary teacher is there. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, because I think it's interesting, particularly in the context of, um, of Soto Zen, you know, a lot of teachers uh, do travel to Japan for some training, some don't at all. And, um, mm -hmm. and so it, it seems, you know, it's great that there's a president of the organization who has experience on both sides. <laughs> so what has your journey been like from, I, I guess, when you first entered a, a training hall to then going and studying in Japan and Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, big question. Sorry. I was in Japan first, actually. Okay. I mean, I was interested in Zen, but I went over to Japan as an English teacher mm. and got placed in a school in the south of Japan, a pretty rural area, <laughs> very low population. And I was interested in Zen, and it just happened that there was a teacher there mm. who was about 30 minutes drive from where I lived, and he was the only Westerner with his own temple in all of Japan, there in the mountains of Oita. <laughs> hmm. And his, uh, his name was Paul Teshin Silverman, and he actually was at this conference, um, oh, yeah. which was very lovely for me to have him here. Um, so I, went, I started going there for Sashin, went very regularly for Sashin. We're a, we're a Kwan tradition, and hmm. really... It just spoke to me very deeply. And Paul would hold Sashin around the times that teachers had breaks. Hmm. So anytime we had a few days off, if we had a five-day break, we'd have a five-day Sashin. Hmm. If we had a three-day break, we'd have a three-day Sashin. But just very regularly doing that. Hmm. And that really um, lit me up. You know, that got me really excited about it. Mm -hmm. and, and then I think... Was it all Westerners who would come to his temple? Not all, but mostly, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, there were always a few Japanese there, but um, a lot of Westerners. And mm -hmm. he was a lot more relaxed on us around forms. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't we didn't really know anything. <laughs> he just had a lot of space for us, mm -hmm. you know. He wasn't always screaming at us, and, you know, we didn't have to wear the proper stuff. We just didn't know. We just really practiced hard together. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was quite wonderful this very, very tiny temple way up in the mountains to have this very deep experience. Yeah. So I met my, my teacher is Paul's Dharma brother, and I met him at one of those sashin, which he came down to co-lead. And, um, yeah, I left Japan, really confident I wanted to ordain, but not having a way yet to do it. And... I traveled in Asia for about a year, visiting temples and monasteries, practicing in different places, and then came back to the States, still as a layperson. I spent five years training as a layperson in temples and monasteries in the States. Oh. And then in 2005, went back to Japan, reconnected with that teacher that I mentioned. His name is Tessa Yamamoto. Hmm. And right away decided to ordain with him and went back there for my training. Mm. So I went to the traditional Japanese monastery for training and spent a lot of time also with my teacher. We keep a monastic schedule, even in the small temple, which is very unusual in Japan. Oh. 
So that allowed me to continue the koan practice with my teacher mm. um, because, you know, we don't, we don't do that really in the traditional Soto Zen monastery. That's for yeah. Soto Zen, pure Soto Zen forms only. They don't have the Rinzai influence there. Mm. Yeah. Is that an urban temple? Uh, no, oh. <laughs> um, not quite rural, but definitely not urban. Uh-huh. It's in a tiny town in the Japanese Alps. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, we were between there and, and northern Japan, both extremely cold places. Mm-hmm. And my teacher had a Dharma sister back in the late 70s, early 80s, who was Irish-American and it made a deep impression on him. She made a deep impression on him. Her name was uh, Maura Soshin O'Halloran. Yeah. And um, many people have heard of her because her diaries were published after she died. Pure heart, enlightened mind. Yeah. So he doesn't speak English, but he was very open to having a woman student mm-hmm. and a Westerner. Yeah, because he had experienced that. Yeah, he had experienced Mora mm-hmm. and was deeply touched by her. Yeah. So he had a lot of space for me, which was great. Yeah. Mm. So. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but it must have been, I imagine, in the mountains, you know, uninsulated buildings. <laughs> yeah. Very cold, <laughs> no, no, bitter practice Florida, at so times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, coming from northern Florida, right? Yes, Originally. I am. Yeah, wow. yeah some of the... Um, yeah, the temple in Nagano has the most snow in all of Japan. <laughs> and then the one in the north is, is uh, I think, I in the morning when I would wake up, I would feel these little bumps on my blanket. And I realized it was where my breath had frozen onto the, onto the blanket. Wow. It was very cold there, yes. <sighs> <laughs> And then you um, you came back to the U.S. Uh, just a few years ago? I came yeah. back to the U.S. in 2010 mm-hmm. and still went back and forth some. I went back to Japan in 2011 after mm. the tsunami mm. to work as a volunteer. Oh, okay. The, our temple's up there, so yeah. um, some of our members were affected by that. Uh-huh. And one of my close friends from my time training in the women's monastery was very affected by that. Uh-huh. And then went back again in 2012 and did pilgrimage around the island of Shikoku. Mm-hmm. It's a, a Shingon practice right. to honor the people who died in the tsunami. Oh, wow. So I still go back and forth a lot. Mm-hmm. But yes, um, I'm based in the States now. Yeah. And, and then what made you join the SCBA and, and kind of work your way up the ranks, or so to speak? <laughs> it's just what you do. You know, I didn't yeah. have community here. And I knew a lot of the people from the time I was training as a layperson mm. here in the West. So what made me join? I don't know, actually, what made me join. But, you know, I think probably drawn to community and and um, being with other priests. Because, you know, it's not so common here in the West. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and um, was nominated to the board and started serving on the board and... Um, I just stuck with it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was really a great gathering of far flung individuals and, um, and really highlighted for me the, the beauty of extended Sangha and how people who 
don't get to see each other very often or maybe have never met really are deeply kindred spirits and um, can get together to support each other in, in yeah. what we're doing. And, you know, we don't have time in, in various training centers, at least from my perspective, to be like emailing back and forth and staying no. in regular contact. Yeah, yeah. you just and trying to stay away and just, get to the Zendo, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, just trying to get your work done. Work yeah. done that's right in front of you and, and serve who's right in front of you. But um, to have an opportunity like mm-hmm. this once in a while to benefit from each other's experience is immense. It was huge. Yeah. I want to mention also the Me Too discussions that yeah, happened. Um, we held discussions for men and women separately to talk about the Me Too movement and how it's affected us as priests, both with our communities, but I think really more on a personal level, things that we have seen and experienced ourselves. And it was it was just earth-shaking. First of all, just to be in a, a circle with only other ordained women was very powerful. And then to hear the level of honesty and very, very deep, deep pain coming up was very moving. Um, yeah, something significant happened with those discussions. Mm. And, you know, I wasn't in the men's discussion. And we had a facilitator come in for that to sort of try to help people open up, somebody who works with men's groups a lot. And the men also reported a real strong sense of connection and honesty and uh, very honest self-reflection that was painful, very painful. So that was very moving and I think very significant that we are talking about it out loud in groups with each other. On the last day, the men and women came together and used counsel process to have a, a conversation together. Mm. And that was also quite beautiful. And then we moved straight from that into the, to the ceremony that I mentioned before of recognition and repentance, which specifically named the harm done to women by men. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I, I thought it was very skillful, the... the um, how the conference unfolded in terms of the sequence of, of topics and the sequence of speakers. And, um, it, it seemed very intentional, which I'm sure it was. It was. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and, and I know that it had a great effect on a lot of people. And then we can also mention that, um, at the end there was a, a, a very lovely dinner and a cultural sharing, which in the past has sometimes been called a talent show. Or a no talent show, yes. Or <laughs> yes. <laughs> a talentless talent show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, the talent of no talent. And um, let me tell you people, Sotos and priests can cut it up. There was, <laughs> there was a lot of fun. It a was lot great of, fun, huh? Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of um, irreverent, you know, making fun of ourselves and also, uh, also celebrating, um, the richness of, of our practice at the same time. Yes. It was, it was pretty incredible. And just laughing together is yeah, exactly. so great. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was really wonderful. I think the rock, paper, scissors championship was probably the <laughs> highlight of <laughs> Yeah. I'm not even going to describe that. I think that we <laughs> should just kind it. of, no. Yeah, you can just use your imagination um, if you don't know what that is. So, uh, Tenku, uh, Tenku Ruff, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us and sharing some of, uh, uh, thank you for the conference and also sharing about the conference and about yourself and the organization. Thank you. And thank you so much to Zen Mountain Monastery for hosting us this year. It was very, very significant for us to be here. Not just that it's in one of our, one of our Zen monasteries in North America. We don't have that many, but the people here were so kind and so gracious and so welcoming. It made a very deep impression on the participants mm. and it just really shows your practice and all yeah. the hard work you're doing. Yeah. I thank you so much. Thank you. And where can people find out more if they're just curious to see what um, the SCBA does? And um, We have a website. It's mm. scba.org. Simple so, enough. Yeah, very easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening, everyone, to the ZMM podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. For more interviews and Dharma talks from Zen Mountain Monastery and the Zen Center of New York City, visit us online at zmm.org. You can sign up for our podcast feed through iTunes or Google Play. Thanks for listening.